0: Good to see all of you moms here. I have two sermons before uh, we go away for our time of sabbatical. And so uh, not having time, one of my kids was like, is it time for 2 Corinthians? Uh, Not yet, so uh, we can't do much in two sermons. So I want you to turn to Luke chapter 16, if you would. And there are two parables in this chapter unique to the book of Luke. And we're going to take these two parables in the next two weeks. Um, The Lord here uh, in this first one says some things that are uh, somewhat challenging to us just in terms of the way uh, they are presented. But I think once we understand what the point is, he tells us something significant about the way we approach our lives in this world. So let's give attention to God's word. This is the parable of the unjust steward from Luke 16, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of God. He also said to his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of the master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. That when you fail, and probably a better translation there is when it fails... They may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And there will end the reading of God's word. May God bless his word to his people as we consider it together this morning. With inflation at 40-year highs and the stock market going up and down wildly in the last several days, it's difficult to know how best to invest for the future. Uh, should, should you buy precious metals? Should you, should you buy Bitcoin? Uh, should you be buying real estate? Should you be burying it in a hole in the ground? What should you do? It's easy to be paralyzed a bit by uncertainty. If we just knew exactly what was going to happen, then we would be more confident in what we should do. And uh, while we live with these uncertainties and we have to sort of uh, make plans realizing there's great uncertainty, this sometimes can bring on a bit of paralysis in our lives where we're sort of guessing at what should happen and it's hard for us to know what to do. And in contrast to that, The Lord Jesus is reminding you that there are some things in your future which are absolutely certain and that they're so certain you can make plans accordingly. And so this passage encourages you to think about what's important in your life now because of what your eternal situation will be. And the challenge is that we Uh, that we plan now, we plan ahead in light of eternity. And so as we look at this passage, even though the Lord Jesus uses here kind of a shady character to teach that lesson, we want to see that the lesson is that Jesus calls you and also enables you to use the resources that you have been given in this life to invest for eternity. And that's the call that's on you, all of you, uh, to invest for eternity. And children, if you'd like to draw a picture this morning, uh, please draw a picture of this steward that we're going to talk about. And listen for what he does and what we are to learn for that. I've very much been appreciating your pictures. It was great last week you drew a picture of a battle. And since some of you young boys draw a picture of a battle every single week, no matter what I tell you to do, this, this really worked out well. And I appreciate that very much. Well, there's an outline in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along. You'll see the first thing we want to notice there is that Jesus here tells a difficult parable to challenge the way you think about your present life. This parable, uh, as I said before, is only found here in the book of Luke. And it's caused no little amount of confusion. One commentator lists 16 different interpretations of the parable offered up by different scholars. Another commentator calls this the most puzzling of all of Jesus' parables. And what is it that makes it puzzling? Because the story itself isn't all that complicated. It's fairly easy to understand. The problem is that Jesus here seems to be commending a man who is dishonest as someone that we should be imitating in some way. And I suppose this would be like if I had the children come up for a children's message and I told them all about Elizabeth Holmes and the company Theranos that she founded, uh, which turns out to be a total fraud, and she's now indicted. Our charge, I guess, uh, has been found guilty of fraud. But if I held her up as an example for the children and told them all about this woman who made all this money temporarily, and uh, that they should really imitate her. And I'm sure some of you parents would be coming to me after the sermon in our service and saying, what, what are you doing? Well, Jesus is doing something kind of like this in this parable. The parable is about a steward of the estate of a wealthy landowner. You might think of the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And Joseph found his way into Potiphar's house, and he was sort of a manager of Potiphar's affairs. In fact, the book of Genesis tells us that Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's hand, that Joseph basically was controlling all of his property. And so this is kind of a similar situation, although in this case, the steward is not trustworthy like Joseph was, he's very untrustworthy. It tells us in verse. One, um, that this certain rich man had a steward and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. That could be translated squandering his goods, his resource. So we don't know exactly what he was doing, but the steward was not doing a good job with the property owner's uh, possessions. And so the master calls him in to give him his pink slip. He's going to fire him. And uh, now the steward faces a crisis. And in verse three, he says, what can I do? He, he can't dig, perhaps he's an older man and his health doesn't allow that, and he doesn't wanna become a beggar. So what is he going to do? In verses four to seven, uh, this tells us what he does. He calls in the, uh, the people that owe money to his master and he changes their bills so that they're lower, significantly lower, and by doing this, he is ingratiating himself himself to these people that owe his master money. He's, he's, in a sense, building his own golden parachute for his upcoming, it's not a retirement, he's going to be fired. Now, that's all pretty straightforward, but then it gets kind of complicated for us because verse 8 tells us that the master commends the unjust steward. And in fact, that word commend could be translated, he praises him. He, he says, good job, uh, you, you, you did well. And uh, this is strange because we would expect the owner to to beat him or to do something, right? To try to get his lost property or money back from this servant. Uh, But then to make it even more confusing, Jesus says in verse 9, And I say to you, make friends for yourself, by unrighteous mammon. So it appears that Jesus is actually trying to encourage something along the lines of what this man has done. And this is a great point at which you should remember in interpreting these parables, which are stories that Jesus tells to try to teach, it's dangerous to try to push every detail of the parable. Uh, quoting from John Calvin here, and these um, cross references are in your bulletin as well. And he says, here it is obvious that if we were to attempt to find a meaning for every minute circumstance, we would act absurdly. Right? And we would be acting absurdly if we said, the take home message is, you do whatever it takes. It doesn't matter. You lie, you cheat, you steal. That's obviously not what Jesus is commending here. In fact, he's, he doesn't commend this, this servant for theft or for bribery or for dishonesty. In fact, the only person that commends the steward directly is the uh, landowner in the, in the parable, not Jesus himself. But, but the, 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 the steward is commended for shrewdness, uh, resourcefulness, uh, for, and actually that word can be translated wisdom or prudence. And so we need to understand what is this challenge that we're being given through this uh, unscrupulous steward. Matthew Henry, in speaking about the parable, says the wisdom of worldly people in the concerns of this world is to be imitated by us in the concerns of our souls. It is their principle to improve their opportunities to do that first, which is most needful in summer and harvest, to lay up for winter, to take a good bargain when it is offered to them, to trust the faithful and not the false. Oh, that we were thus wise in our spiritual affairs, Uh, and this is the idea, that we are to take this parable and apply it to our lives today in light of our spiritual affairs, and so in other words, this would be like using someone like Elizabeth Holmes, not as an example of of, uh, dishonesty and this kind of thing, but as a person investing enormous amounts of effort to accomplish her desired objectives, Uh, This is what the Christian is to be like in terms of looking to our eternal home and our eternal objective. So Jesus tells this parable, it's a challenging parable, to challenge the way we think about our present lives. And what do we learn as we start to look at this in a little more detail? Well, the, the first thing we learn, and this is the second point in your outline, is that each one of us has been given a stewardship. You have been given a stewardship. This man is a steward. He owns nothing of his own. The landowner owns it all. And the word steward could be translated manager. In some of your translation, uh, he's not, uh, it's not stewardship, it's management that it talks about. It's actually, in the original language, the word from which we get economy. Uh, he's running the economy of the estate on behalf of the landowner. And as people who are serving Jesus Christ, if you claim to be trusting him, you have been given a great stewardship. As Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So this, this, this implies that Christians are stewards of the many-faceted grace of God. This is an enormous responsibility. You've been given a certain amount of time on the earth, and with that time, you've been given uh, all kinds of resources. Uh, Your talent, your, your mind, your physical body, the relationships you have, the skills that you have, the knowledge that you have, the opportunities, the contacts. You have a unique stewardship from God. And, and uh, it, this is a challenge to us because, of course, sadly, we don't really live this way. We think that our time and our talents and our resources are ours. And yes, we should throw God a bone every once in a while and do this or that to keep him off our back. But at the baseline, we are here serving ourselves. I, I saw a Babylon B headline. I know these aren't real, all right? These Babylon B headline last week, it says, uh, Holy Spirit tells man to do exactly what he wanted to do, and shows a picture of a guy napping in a hammock, uh, sitting there with a huge smile on his face. Isn't that an amazing coincidence, right? That the Lord just told me to do exactly what I wanted to do anyway, and, and sadly, this is often the way we approach our lives. It's mine I do what I want to do. I can kind of baptize that with religious language at times. And and this is reminding us, God owns everything. The world in its fullness belongs to the Lord, says Psalm 24. He owns it all. And so you and I have to see our position as managers, as stewards of what he has given us, not as the owners. I know some of you are familiar with the Navigators group and the Discipling group. Materials that they put together. And one of the the diagrams they use to help show the Christian life is what they call the wheel diagram. And, And sort of the idea is if you take your life as kind of a pie and you chop up the different pieces, there's two ways to approach the Christian faith. One is that my relationship with God is like a piece of the pie. It's like a hobby or something I do. It's one of the things I do among many. And that's not the Christian life. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Because the Christian life is that you have at the center of the circle Jesus. And then the rest of your life are like spokes radiating out from that center point, which is Jesus. So Jesus isn't just a hobby that we do a couple hours a week. He is the center of our lives. And everything else finds its orientation and its perspective in Jesus. And this is what... This parable is reminding us it's that we work for God. God does not work for us. You have been given a stewardship. Thirdly, we see here that you will have to give an account for your stewardship when it ends. So, in this parable in verse 2, the stewardship comes to an end. The owner says, You're mismanaging this, your stewardship is over, give an account for what you have done. Uh, I grew up in Columbus, Indiana, where uh, Cummins Engine Company was one of the largest employers over there, Fortune 500 company. And over the years, we knew families, white-collar workers. You would go, you would go in uh, one day thinking you had a job. You would be called into your supervisor's office. They would tell you you had just lost your job. You would turn around. There would be a security officer there to meet you who would walk you to your desk and you would have a box, and the security officer would stand there while you put all the stuff from your desk in the box. They would take your uh, IDs and all your, um, all your entry passes and escort you to the parking lot, and that was it. And you might have worked there for a long time, and that was a very unceremonious way to live. And in a sense, uh, the, the landowner here is much more gracious than that. He, he tells the steward, yeah, you've lost your job, But uh, you have some time to sort of put your affairs in order and give an accounting for what you have done. And uh, so the steward uh, decides that, uh, okay, now he's got to do something. He's got a crisis point. He's going to have to explain himself to his master. And my friends, the Bible tells you yes, you've been given a stewardship, but every one of you, there will be a day when you will have to give an accounting for the stewardship that you have had Hebrews 9:27 as and it is appointed for men to die once but after this the judgment and whether it's when we die or whether it's when Jesus comes again our stewardship at least in this world is going to end and we will have to give an accounting and this is true for believers as well Uh, I put in your outline 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 and following. Uh, This gets at this idea. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, that is the foundation of Christ, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures... He will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Very sobering. That the work that we're doing, the the foundation is Christ, but as we build on that foundation, what we're doing in life, it's either, as it's described here, wood, uh, hay, stubble, or it's precious things like gold and silver. We've heard a lot recently about the devaluation of the dollar uh, that's happening uh, as inflation soars. And it's a good time to remind ourselves that every dollar you have at one point in your life will be worth zero. That, that, that's, the, that's the ultimate end. There's not any amount of money that is going to be able to help you uh, when you get to the end of your life. So the, the issue here and the parable points to the urgency of being prepared to give an accounting for our stewardship. Now recognize the steward here is in a crisis situation. Uh, he, he probably is an older man who's been working as an administrator. He's not able to do manual labor, which is why he says uh, in verse 3, I cannot dig and I don't want to beg. These are two possibilities. He's not going to be able to survive and realize no one is going to give him a job because he's not going to have a reference from his employer. And so he asks a question that we should be asking, which is, what shall I do? What shall I do in this crisis situation? And this is a question that we need to challenge ourselves with. Am I preparing for my eternal state, my meeting with the Lord that will happen? Will I be ready at that point? And it's very easy to convince ourselves that it's not urgent. That, that is a question that we can put off indefinitely. But Jesus is here reminding you it is urgent. It is urgent that we have a plan for how we will deal with our eternal status. You have to give an account for your stewardship when it ends. So fourthly then, you are therefore to use your resources in the present life to invest in eternity. This is the idea. So the steward considers what he should do, and so he comes up with this plan, uh, which we read about. He's going to meet with the, the the people that are debtors to his master, and he's going to change their bills. And there's some debate over how this scheme actually works. You see that Jewish people were not supposed to charge uh, heavy interest rates when they... Uh, when they loaned money. And so whether uh, they have loaned money or they've, they've, they've taken these goods without paying for them, one of the ways you could get around charging interest was just to raise the price or raise the, the, the number of things you owed for. So it's not clear whether uh, here he's lowering the interest or the principal or both. It really doesn't matter, though, for understanding the, the idea, which it, is that the steward is taking his master's resources and using them for his own benefit. And it's important to know here in the story that these are significant amounts. So it mentions, as he calls these debtors together, 100 measures. In the original language, it's 100 baths of oil. So this would be something like 900 gallons of olive oil, uh, the, the yield of 150 trees. It's a huge amount or a hundred measures of wheat. This is, uh, they think, a thousand bushels. This would have been uh, the yield from a hundred acres of wheat. And he cuts the one bill in half, the other bill he cuts down 20 percent. And he's doing this for all, all of the debtors to his master. So it's an enormous sum. And and what's going to happen here, of course, is that these people who he's just saved enormous amounts of money are going to owe him big time when he loses his job. And so now he can go to them and say, hey, I did a favor for you, now I need a favor, and he's going to be taken care of after he loses his job. And in verse 8, again, it's surprising to us because the master commends the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. And some commentators think that by changing the bills, right, there's no record of what they really owe. He's also created enormous goodwill for the master and the community. Uh, The the landowner doesn't, uh, you know, they don't know that the steward is out there acting as a rogue agent at this point. And so the master is really over a barrel at this point. He's not going to be able to to go back and change these back. He's not going to be able to undo what the steward has done. And in effect, he's saying the steward, you put one over on me. Yeah, you, you, put one, you really put one over on me. And he gives him credit for being uh, wise in the sense of the world of um, being resourceful and being able to provide for himself. And then Jesus then comments on this. And he says, um, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than are the sons of light. And what he's saying is the people of the world are better at using their system than the people of God are at using their system and their resources. Again, quoting from Matthew Henry on this. Matthew Henry says, The children of light are commonly outdone by the children of this world. Not that the children of this world are truly wise in an ultimate sense. It's only in their generation. But in that they are wiser than the children of light in theirs... For though we are told that we must shortly be turned out of our stewardship, yet we do not provide as we were to be here always, and as if there were not another life after this one, and are not so solicitous as this steward was to provide for hereafter. And uh, this, is, this is the indictment. That we're not conscious, we're not resourceful, we're not laboring for eternity like the worldly people are for their worldly lives. Jesus puts this positively in verse 9 I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, and when it fails, they may receive you into an everlasting home. And I think what Jesus is doing here, that wouldn't be one I'd, I'd, I'd sort of make a, a pull quote and put on, a, you know, have somebody embroider and put on the wall, right? That's not, that, that's easy to misinterpret there. Um, But I think Jesus is using the language of the parable to say that we are to use the resources we have in this world for the greatest possible spiritual good. Or as commentator Klein uh, Snodgrass says, put yourself in a good position through your use of money, which so easily leads you astray so that when this age is over, God will receive you into his eternal dwelling. Now, there's a warning here. In verse 13, he he says, you cannot serve God and mammon. So the idea is not that we make uh, wealth or or possessions or our achievements our, our, our God, and we worship those things. That's not what he's saying. He's saying these things are things that can be used for spiritual good and for the work of the kingdom. And this is kind of what he's getting at in verses 10 through 12 saying in a sense that the, the way you use the resources you have in this world is a barometer of your heart that shows what's really important to you and what you are giving yourself to. And this is clear from other parts of the Bible as well. Luke 12, 33-34, Sell what you have and give alms, provide for yourself money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, Where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. what, What you treasure is a reflection of where your heart is. And then in 1 Timothy 6 verses 17 and following. Paul writes command those who are rich in this present age. Not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches. But in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. And, and that is the challenge of the parable to us. Uh, Philip prayed about this in, this in the service. Last week, the uh, draft of the Supreme Court decision, that uh, if, it's, if it holds up, is the reversal of the Roe v. Wade decision, something that our nation's been dealing with for 50 years now. And what's fascinating, of course, is the response to this. And so now you have uh, people uh, that are defacing Catholic churches, and, and you have people, uh, they've doxxed the, uh, the, the Supreme Court justices, their home addresses, and people are going to their home addresses and, uh, and, and uh, doing things that are very threatening. And it's a very scary situation in terms of uh, the health and the future of our nation. And yet, if you look at it from the perspective of this parable, what you see is people who are willing to go to the limit to get what they want. Now, we condemn what they're doing. But at one level, you have to commend the commitment to do what's needed, what they think is needed, to get what they want. And, And that's the challenge to people who claim to be Christians and yet don't show a similar commitment to pursue the things of God. I'm not talking about politics here. To pursue the things of God, that that we don't have the same level of strategy, the same level of resourcefulness, the same level of, as we said before, commitment to do what's needed. And we need to understand this is something that hits our lives every single day when we make decisions. What's more important? Uh, for me to spend time with the Lord in his word. Or to do my workout. Is it more important to have my kids doing this or that activity? Or that I'm teaching them to love God's word and to read it and study that it on their own. And we, we face these decisions constantly. And this is the challenge of this parable. Are we as committed to pursuing eternal spiritual ends in our lives as the people around us who don't know God are in pursuing whatever it is they're pursuing. And and this can be a bit of a wake-up call. We are to use our resources to store up treasure in heaven. And finally then, I want you to see from this parable that Jesus is the perfectly righteous steward who enables you, to use your resources faithfully today so jesus is asking us to invest for heaven and we have to admit it's hard it's hard to do this i I know some of you moms here it's mother's day are thinking what are you talking about i'm just trying to survive the day what are you talking about investing in heaven for it makes no sense But the beauty of this parable is it it points us to the Lord Jesus. Jesus not only calls us to live this way, but he enables us to live this way. And he does this because he's the perfect servant of God. He comes to manage God's house on earth. He comes fully trustworthy. He comes fully committed, not to seek his own priorities, but the priorities of his heavenly father. And the Bible says he made himself a bondservant. Coming in the likeness of human beings. And then more than that, suffering and dying in our place. He pays the price for us. So that we can be forgiven. And he's faithfully served so that people like us who are not inclined to have our eye on the ball looking toward eternity. We can be given the grace that we need to start to learn to live that way. This is why the Bible says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He was the perfect servant in your place. A couple of weeks ago, I had this wonderful and totally unexpected experience. One of my former students who's been gone since uh, maybe 2009 was back in town. And in talking to him, and he was telling me of just catching up, he's now got three children, he's married, he's had a good job, he's leading his family well, and he said to me, I want you to know, and I haven't spoken to him since he left school, I I want you to know that the Bible study that we did for just six weeks uh, in his senior year started me on my walk with Christ. And he claimed to be a Christian serving the Lord with his family. I had no idea. I had taken him and another student through a little survey of the Bible, maybe six weeks. You never know how God's using the things you are doing. And so I think the encouragement from the passage by what Jesus is saying is you can, you can be a good steward. You can be shrewd in pursuing the things of God. And it's not that complicated. It's just being faithful with the opportunities that God gives you. And thank God we're in a church community where people are doing this kind of thing all the time and they're inviting you to come along with them, whether it's ministering to international students through the ESL program or these midweek Bible studies or one-on-one mentoring or teaching children or joining together for prayer, supporting mission work. There's all these things that you can be invited, that you are invited to participate in. And the encouraging thing is because Jesus Christ was that faithful servant. You and I, as we trust in him, can also be faithful to take the resources, the opportunities that God gives each one of us, and those are unique for every person, and use those for God's glory that we would be preparing for eternity so that when we give an account for our stewardship, it would be with great joy This is what has been done in Christ, not in our own strength, but in Christ. You have a stewardship. You're going to have to give an account for it. Jesus says that in him, you may be able to give a good account. Trust him. He enables you to use your resources for his glory. Let's pray and we'll give him thanks. Heavenly Father, we confess that it's very easy for us uh, to live in such a way that our eye is completely off the ball. We are so focused on our lives in this world that we forget the fact that we are here to serve you, not ourselves. And that, Lord, there is a day coming when we will have to give an account to you as to how we have served and Lord, we know that not one of us could stand before you and tell you that we have used our time and our talents and our money and our opportunities and our contacts and all of it faithfully. We, we cannot do that. But how we thank you that the Lord Jesus came as a perfect servant in our place and that through him we can be forgiven for squandering your resources and that we can be enabled to be more faithful in serving you uh, for an eternal objective. I pray you would help us in this, Lord. You know our hearts. You know some of us uh, aren't in fellowship with you at all. We need to submit our wills to you to confess our sin and to receive Christ as our Savior. And uh, some of us have done that and yet we're, we're not living functionally like that is true. How we pray that you would work in our lives, send your spirit to stir up our hearts and to help us to be thankful for all the wonderful opportunities you give us. And then, Lord, that you would give us the grace we need to use the resources that you provide for us in a way that is productive and glorifies our Savior. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Now we will sing back to the Lord our praise from Psalm 37, Selection D.